Uh, but with that, we are going to jump into God's Word. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bible, want to go ahead and turn there. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 3, uh, and we're going to be there just a little bit, but mostly in chapter 4. Um, and what we're going to be talking about in this passage is, is, is the whole passage is going to be about rest and really this idea of Sabbath rest and how Jesus provides a better rest for us, which is a rest that many of us have been longing for right now. And so I don't know if you're in that camp that's kind of saying, okay, I need a little bit of rest. I'm trying to get a little bit of rest, but I'm just finding it's a little bit hard to come by right now, uh, that this is the passage that is absolutely for you. I was reading this fascinating article this past week. It was just talking about the tension that many of us are having right now. Um, but it said that because of our elevated stress levels related to COVID-19, the economic losses that are taking place, isolation, and the constant barrage of mixed information about it. I'm just going to add to the equation, working from home, kids and everybody being right on top of each other all the time, learning how to, to homeschool and the new math that they're teaching kids nowadays and things like that. But anyway, it goes on and it says, because of our elevated stress levels, what's happening is that our minds are racing more than usual, which elevates the body's arousal response system, and it triggers insomnia. And so a lot of you guys are seeing this right now. You're saying, I want to sleep. Uh, I know that I should sleep. I need to be able to find rest, but I'm just not able to grab hold of rest right now. It's kind of like that family vacation you took a long time ago. You thought that you were going to go get a little bit of rest. You came back a little bit more exhausted on the back end than when you went into it on the front end. Uh, I'll never forget the first time we took Caleb on a vacation. He was about six months old at the time. Uh, and so we decided to make the trip from Dallas to Houston to go spend Christmas with the entire family. We made about four different stops from Dallas to Houston. Uh, he got sick along the way. That got cat sick, obviously. Uh, I got a little sick also. Then we went into this home and like everybody's crammed on top of each other. And I remember coming back from this vacation and we were more exhausted on the back end than we were coming into it. It just wasn't a vacation. It was more of a trip or something like that. And the reality, church, is like a lot of us are there right now. And the problem with that, even though it sounds a little bit funny, is that we have to have rest in order to thrive. We have to have rest in order to be healthy. I was reading another article that said overwork and this lack of rest is one of the leading factors in some of the most common medical ailments today. Things like heart and lung disease and cancer and accidental injuries and cirrhosis of the liver and anxiety and depression. There's another one a few years back that was just talking about how people who choose not to rest and people who, who uh, choose to work 11-hour days are 250% more likely to become depressed than people who work on average eight-hour days. Because the bottom line, church, is we, we were made to rest. We have to have rest. And so as we sit in the middle of this pandemic today, and you and I live in this fast-paced, uh, performance-driven city like we are here in Dallas, then what is this rest that Jesus provides and how in the world do we grab hold of it today? That's what I want to be getting at in our passage. And so again, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter three, we're going to pick it up in verse seven here in just a moment. If you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, it is a little bit more complex regarding the content. However, I want to argue that the message of Hebrews is really, really, really simple. It's being written at the end of the first century to a group of largely new Jewish believers that are experiencing a lot of opposition in their newfound faith. Keep in mind that they are moving from the majority faith at the time, uh, being Judaism, and they are coming into the minority sect uh, of people that are following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're experiencing a lot of opposition at this time. 
And essentially, the author of Hebrews, even though it's not exactly known exactly who it is, the author of Hebrews comes in, and every step of the way, pretty much every single chapter, he simply says, no, 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 don't walk away from the faith. Press on in the faith, because in every possible way, Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than whatever you're tempted to go back to uh, in Judaism. He's better than the angels. He's better than the Old Testament law. He's even better than Moses, whatever it is that you would typically rely upon in your old religious practices. So he's saying, press on in the faith, because in every every possible way, Jesus is better. And so it's the same thing in chapter three. That's what's going on. The first six verses are arguments essentially saying that Jesus is better than Moses. And then beginning in verse seven, he's going to start quoting Psalm 95 in order to show you why he's better than Moses. And this is where he's going to introduce to us this idea of rest and this idea that Jesus is going to provide this rest for us that nobody else was able to provide. But he gets into it in verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. And I said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And so what's he talking about here when he says, when he says the, the day of trial in the wilderness? What's he talking about there? I mean, he, he's bringing us back to this time when, when, when God brought the nation of Israel to the edge of the promised land, and they failed to inherit the promised land. You can read about it all in uh, Numbers chapter 13. But essentially, the story goes like this. This is just after the time that God has rescued the nation of Israel from the bondage of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. God has used Moses to lead them out. Uh, the 10 different plagues have taken place. They've gone to the edge of the Red Sea. God is part of the Red Sea. He's provided for the Israelites in, the, in their wandering in the wilderness through food and water, and bread, and manna, and meat, and things of that nature. And now all of a sudden, they're at the edge of the promised land, and God has promised them, this is your land. This is going to be your place of rest. Go and take this land. If you'll go and believe me, trust in me, I will give you this land. And so Moses sends in 12 different spies. 10 of them come back, and they come back terrified at what they saw, because they're seeing really, really big men and women in that place, and they're kind of going, I don't know that God's going to be able to give us this land. I don't know that we need to go in and trust him to take this land. And so God looks at him, and if you remember what takes place, he looks at this and he says, fine, if you guys aren't going to believe me, you're not going to take me at my word, then no rest for you, no land for you. And for the next 40 years, this generation of Israelites, they're going to wander in the desert and they're going to miss out on the experience of God's blessing and the experience of his rest, which God had always, always promised at that point in time. That's what we're talking about when we talk about rest. And so when we talk about entering into his rest today, like we got to understand, we're not talking about just having a great nap. We're not talking about just arbitrarily taking a day off or or kicking our feet up or something like that. We're talking about an invitation to enter into the fullness of God's blessing today. It's why it's such a big deal, church. Like there's blessing at stake at you and I being able to enter into his rest today. And the good news is that according to chapter four, he's going to say that the promise of this blessing or the promise of this rest, it's still a promise which stands today. And so we read about it in verse 2. He simply says, Take care that none of you fall short of this as the nation of Israel did. For we too, we've had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who believed. In other words, like what good is a promise if you don't believe the promise is being made? 
Like, what good is a promise if you don't believe the one who's entrusting to you this promise? Like, that's what's going on there. Like, what good is this thing if you're not willing to take hold of the thing that's been offered to you in the first place? Like, that's what he's saying. Like, you've got to have faith in order to be able to enter into this rest. And so he keeps going, and this is where the Old Testament concept of the Sabbath rest, it ties together with this present-day offer of rest. We read about it in verse 9. He specifically to say, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But then again, he's going to allude to it in verse 4 when he talks about how there were six days of creation. But then again, on the seventh day, God then rested from all of his works. And so there's six days of creation. And this is what he's talking about in verse 4. And then on the seventh day, God chose to rest from his works. It's the same thing in the Ten Commandments when the fourth command is very specifically to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then he says, as the Lord your God commanded you to do, six days you should labor, but on the seventh day you need to take off. It is a Sabbath uh, to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. And he goes on this long list of people right here. So that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You need to remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And so I don't want us to get confused when we're talking about uh, a Sabbath rest, right? We're, we're, we're not talking about a suggestion here. Like, we're not talking about this thing that you and I may or may not want to enter into. We're not talking about this passive thing that's a good advice or something like that. We're talking about one of the Ten Commandments, one of the major commands that are going to be guiding this relationship between Israel and God and, 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 uh, and, and dictating the way that they're going to play things out right there. Like, that's what he's talking about. Like, this is up there with, you should have no other gods before me, and you, should, you shall not lie, cheat, murder, or steal. I mean, church, can you imagine if, if we treated all the rest of these commands with the same disregard that we do the Sabbath? I mean, can you imagine that if you, like, you show up to your life group one day and, and, and somebody's just like, hey, man, had a fantastic week. It was awesome. I was walking with the Lord, but I did slip up a little bit. You know, like I, I stole Billy's car and then, you know, I lied to the police about it. I told him it was all Phil. I thought that was pretty funny and stuff, but we lied. We told him it was, all, it was all Phil. And then I murdered Bob from my county. Man, I've hated that guy forever. Like he's just been annoying me. And now I got my eyes set on Steve because I can't stand that guy right over there. Like, like can you imagine if someone was like, yeah, I had a few slip ups kind of like that. Like we would never treat those other commands with any kind of minimization or flippancy or anything like that. Why in the world do we treat rest with such flippancy? Why in the world would we disregard it like we do today? Like why in the world would we minimize this command to rest? I mean, we got to understand, church, like when he commands us to rest, like there's purpose behind this command. I mean, in verse 14, he's going to say, rest, why? So that your male and female servants may rest as well as you. In other words, the first thing he says, like physically, we were made to rest. In other words, like there's no other explanation needed. You and I were designed to rest. You need to have rest. Your body was designed to rest. There's no other explanation that you need right there. You need it. And so I'm commanding you to rest because I know as your designer that it is good for you to rest. And so that's the first reason. But the second reason is going to be found in verse 15 when he says, here it is, while you rest, while you choose to take a day off, while you choose to take an entire day, kick your feet up and take a break and take a rest, be sure to remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. In other words, church, like on top of our physical need for rest, you and I have got to remember that he's the one who ultimately saves and provides. Like that's the entire point. Like that's what he's saying right here. Like don't just take a nap and forget that he's the one who's providing. Like, don't just kick your feet up and, and, and just because. 
Like, don't just turn on the game on a Sunday afternoon and, and, and rest and forget the fact that while you're taking a break, while you're resting, he's the one who is saving. He's the one who's intervening and providing on your behalf. Like, that's what this entire thing is about. Be sure to remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and in the middle of that place, God brought you out of that place. Church, it's a beautiful picture because, like, what in the world can people do in captivity? Like, what was Israel able to do in captivity? They could do absolutely nothing. They could do nothing about their situation. Like, they were physically enslaved at the time. Like, they weren't able to send any plagues. They could do nothing about plagues. Like, they weren't able to change Pharaoh's heart. Like, they weren't able to split the Red Sea or provide for themselves in the wilderness. It was God who provided for them every single step of the way. And the reality is, church, like, that is really, really, really easy to forget, especially when every single day of your life, you are the one who's going to work. Like, it's easy to forget that he's the one who provides when I'm the one who goes to work, and I'm the one that's getting a paycheck, and it's got my name on that check, and I'm the one that's cashing it in, and I'm the one that's solving problems at home and at work, and I'm the one that's kissing bobos and healing wounds and fixing the kitchen sink and doing all these different kinds of things. Like, it's really, really easy to forget that he's the one that provides when I can see all these different things that I'm doing. I mean, church, how long do we get in the rhythm of those things before we start to look around and th- say, okay, like, Lord, what in the world are you doing here? Like, I can see all the things that I'm bringing to the table. I can see my to-do list every single day. By the way, how in the world do you provide again? I mean, have you ever noticed this, maybe even during this pandemic at home, but have you ever noticed how easy it is to overlook all the different things that your loved one does on a regular basis? I mean, maybe you've come home, you've had this experience before, you come home and you look around and it's just one of those days and you're kind of going, babe, like, what have you been doing all day long? I mean, did you just kick up your feet like bonbons all day? Like, what have you been doing at home? Or maybe it's the other way around, and, and your spouse comes home from work, and you're like, finally, they're back home, and they can actually help me do some work around this place. And you kind of forget, hey, um, or, or maybe in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, well, they're just, out, they're, they're just at the office with the boys, and uh, he's got his feet kicked up all day long. She's got her feet kicked up all day long. She's just hanging out like the real work begins when you get at home. Like, isn't that how we think? At church, the reality is like, it's really, really easy to get self-centered and to forget that he's the one who provides. Like, it's really, really easy to forget that he's the one that's doing all those different kinds of things, which is exactly why he gives us an entire day, once a week, every single week of our lives, in order to sit back and rest and remember that he's the one who ultimately provides. Church, like none of what he's telling us to do right now makes any sense unless you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that he can better provide for you in six days than you can do for yourself in seven. Church, I hope you understand like crops had to be harvested every single day. Water had to be obtained daily. Animals have got to be fed. Emails have got to fly. Money has got to flow. Work has got to get done. Waffle fries need to be made. Chicken sandwiches need to be made every single day. And here it is, church, like if, if times are tight, then rest is typically the last thing you want to do unless you are confident that God is the one who's going to come and provide. Church, it's the entire point of this entire thing. Do you really trust him to do what he says he's going to do? Church, like everything that keeps you awake at night, especially now in this pandemic, like it is there in the provision of God. I mean, look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, just after the command. It's going to say, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, all these blessings are going to come upon you and they're going to overtake you. And the whole thing is all about God's desire to bless. I mean, take a look at what he says. He says, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. 
Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. I know many of you are wanting that to be blessed, but blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord is going to open for you his good storehouse. In other words, like he's taking you to Bob's Steakhouse, not just McDonald's anymore. But he says, the Lord is going to open for you the, the good storehouse right here, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you'll lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And granted, church, like this isn't our law and we're not the nation of Israel, but church, like blessing is still the heart of the Father. It's why Jesus is going to come in and he's going to say, he's going to remind us in Matthew chapter 7, if you then who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to the children that you love, how much more then is the heavenly Father, this good and loving heavenly Father, going to give good gifts to the people who ask him? In other words, like he loves to intervene. This is, this, is in, this is who he is. He loves to provide. His disposition is to look at you who believe in him with favor, and his inclination is to say yes and to bring good things into your life. He cares about your future. He cares about your children, all the different things that keep you awake at night. He cares about your job. He cares about your income. He cares about what's going to take place in the very future. So you don't have to lay awake at night wondering if he wants to bless you because that's his disposition. His disposition is to long to bless and to long to come in and long to provide. Church, that's who he is. He is a provider, especially in this season of pandemic, and especially in the time of, of the things that are going on right now. Like church, like everything that keeps you awake at night, it's there in the provision of God. I'm thinking of this picture of Mary and Martha from Luke chapter 10, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels where Mary is totally at peace because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, relaxing at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's here, and she's, she's working like crazy, and she's frantic, and it just simply says she's worried and anxious about so many different things. I mean, honestly, I love that picture because, like, like, what are the things that keep you awake at night? Like, what are the things that are driving you to work and work and work that you're not able to turn off in your mind and in your heart and in your soul? What are those things that are working inside of you that will not let you rest right now? I mean, do we really think that he's that hard to please? I mean, that's what it was for Martha. Jesus was coming over to her home. Like, I got to make sure that everything's tidy. I got to make sure that everything's in place. Like, do we really think that he's that hard to please and that he requires more work from us or even better work in order for us to be approved? I mean, it's the entire argument here in Hebrews that Jesus is better than Moses because the work is finally finished. I mean, that's the whole argument. Jesus is better than the old covenant law, than the old covenant. Jesus is better than the, the Old Testament law. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses because his, the work is finally finished. Your approval is certain and eternity is secure because Christ's sacrifice was sufficient once and for all. That's why he says in verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, he wouldn't have spoken of another day after that. In other words, like if Joshua's rest, the rest that they received and experienced when they walked into the promised land, if that was sufficient, he wouldn't have talked about another rest after that. And so he says in verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, which is for us today. For the one who has entered into his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. In other words, church, like when we come to him, we're not coming to him like Martha, like with all of our work expecting to be approved. Like we're not coming with all these good deeds, hoping and praying that he's finally going to be happy with us. Like we're not coming to him with sacrifices year after year after year like Moses did. Like we're coming to him with empty hands and with hearts that are full of faith, trusting in the things that he's done. Like it's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2 when he says, it's by God's grace that you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a free gift of God so that none of us are able to boast. In other words, we're bringing nothing to the table except for faith. 
We're bringing nothing to the table except hoping to receive this, this, this gift of his grace, which he promises us when we come to him in faith. That's what Paul says in Titus 3, 5, when he says, it is not by works of righteousness which you and I have done. In other words, we've done good things. We've done good things. We've gone to church. We fed the homeless. We care about the refugee. We, we do all these great works of righteousness. And he says, it's not by those works of righteousness which we've done, but it's according to God's mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, church, here it is. If you and I are in Jesus Christ, then you have already been washed and you are present tense being renewed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul's gonna say like you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In other words, he has already gifted you his righteousness and he has declared that you are righteous not because of anything that you brought to the table, but because that's who he is. And when we come to him in faith, he gifts you his righteousness. He declares that you are righteous, not because of anything that we've done, but because it's a gift that we've received on, uh, that, that he's given to us. And so here it is, church, like if guilt and shame is the thing that's keeping you awake at night, like it's, it's the thing that's driving you to work over and over again, then you can take it to Jesus and you can finally find that rest that you've been longing before because you have been washed clean. It's why he's the better rest, like the work has already been taken care of. Church, everything that keeps you awake at night, like it is there in the provision of God. For some of us, like it's all about significance. And the reason that you and I are not able to rest at night is because deep down inside, you always feel like there's something left to prove. Like somebody's told you in the past that if you're not exceptional at providing, or if you're not exceptional at mothering in every phase of life, if you're not exceptional at these things or whatever it is that he's called you to do, then you're actually a nobody. I mean, I'll never forget years ago, I was working at Sewell GMC, and um, we had this Corvette Z06 that was on the light. It was a, it was a souped-up Corvette. Somebody had done a lot of altercations to it. I mean, it was a really, really expensive car. I mean, this thing was pretty sweet. But I'll never forget this customer that comes in, and he was obsessed with this car. And so we start talking, and we take it for a test drive, and, uh, and it's clear, like, the guy's pumped. He's already said, I'm buying this car. I want this car. And so we start talking, and I'm like, look, I know that you love this car. But like, what would you say you love most about this car? And he's going, oh, man, I don't know about that. He's like, the looks are incredible. Like, everybody's going to notice me. Uh, man, it's fast. He's talking about the power. He's talking about the engine. And then he kind of slow, slows down for a little bit. And he goes, you know the thing I love about it most? He's like, I'm finally going to be able to stick it to my dad because he never, ever, ever thought that I'd ever have a car like this. Can't wait to see the expression on his face. And I thought that was a very, very telling response of his. And so I looked at him, and I, of course, I probed a little bit further. I was like, that's fascinating. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? And he just goes on talking about how his dad always called him a loser growing up and how he would never amount to anything. And he just went on just talking about how he spent the rest of his life proving his dad wrong. And that's the thing that's driven him to work as hard as he has. In terms of reality is like that for some of us, like that's, that's the thing that drives us. That's the thing that keeps you awake. It's this voice inside of your head that says, you are the things that you produce. Uh, you haven't even needed anyone else to tell you that because that, 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 that voice is already there in your head. It's just nagging you at night and you're saying you're only as good as the things that you produce. And so if things aren't going well at work, like your identity is wrapped up in that thing and that voice is nagging you in your head and that's the thing that's keeping you awake at night. And church, like if, if that's you today, what I want you to hear is that is it all that insecurity, all those identity issues begin to dissipate when you're resting and you're receiving at the feet of Jesus Christ. Church, it begins to fade away like when you're sitting at his feet and you're listening to him remind you that you are already totally and completely loved by God and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like those are the promises of his word. 
Like, like you're, you're a child of God. You've been given the right to be called a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. That's who you are, church. You've called holy. You're called saint. You're called co-heir with Jesus Christ. You're, you're called a masterpiece. He knew you before you were born. He numbered the hairs upon your head. You're called an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that's who you are. And church, like that's what he reminds you of when you come to him and you rest at his feet and you receive from him. Church, I'm telling you, like, like, like everything that keeps you awake at night is found in the provision of God. He provides it for us if you'll simply come to him and rest. Church, for, for some of us, the reason we're not able to rest is because you and I honestly believe that he needs me in order to get things done. Like, like if I'm not doing these things, then no one, no one else is going to be able to do that. And if I don't get these things done, then, then his plans are going to fail. But it's there, church, at the feet of Jesus that it reminds you that his call is faithfulness. It's not a call to get everything done. It's not a call to solve all the problems of the world. It's not a call to be better than the rest or the best of the best or any of these things. Like, it's a call to be faithful. And yes, he wants you to be a part of what he's doing, but it's there at the feet of Jesus that he reminds you that he doesn't need you in order to move. It's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but it was God who caused it to grow. And church, some of us need to hear that today because that, that he has called you to plant. That's what he's called you to do, nothing else. He's called you to plant. He's called you to be an engineer. He's called you to sell homes. He's called you to be a homemaker. He's called you to be a mom or a dad or a grandparent in this season of life. He's called you to plant. He's called you to be faithful. He's called you to work hard. He's called you to love your spouse no matter how hard it is right now. No matter if whether or not they're reciprocating that love or not, he's called you to your family to come home at night and to pay attention to your kids. He's called you to engage the mission. He's called you to do the things that you do. But at the end of the day, church, you can rest because he's the one who makes it all grow. Like that's what this whole thing is about. Like church, he's called you to do the things that you do, but like he's the one who makes it grow. Church, you know how liberating this is? Like it lets you focus on faithful instead of stressing over results that you were never created to control. Like, that's what it is. Like, you can focus on faithful instead of stressing over things that are way outside of your control. I'm thinking of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, where the Holy Spirit just leads him to go down to Gaza. If you remember this story, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to stop going to Jerusalem. I want you to go down to Gaza. I've got an appointment for you there. And Philip has no idea what he's leading him into, but he goes down to Gaza, and it's there that he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. And he finds this guy reading the prophet Isaiah. And so he goes up to this guy and he says, hey, brother, uh, do you know what you're reading? And the guy looks at him and he says, I, how can I know unless somebody explains it? Do you, do you know what this means? And he kind of looks at him and just laughs. And he's like, funny you should ask. It's actually like God brought me down here. Like I know exactly what the prophet's talking about. And it's, and it's this beautiful divine encounter where it's the most easy thing in the world. He explains it in the gospel from the prophet Isaiah. The guy comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and is immediately baptized. First, point of the matter is he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. The Holy Spirit was already ahead of him. The Holy Spirit was already working in that man's heart. The Holy Spirit was already leading him into right relationship. All he's called you to do is to walk in faithfulness. When he says to go, that you say, yes, God, I will go. When he calls you to do, that you say, yes, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it to the best of my possible ability. When he calls you to love, that you're going to go and you're going to love. But remember that at the end of the day, it is God's responsibility to cause things to grow. I mean, I'm never going to forget one of the first times that I had an experience sharing the gospel. I was late in the high school days. I was a terrible evangelist at the time. I still think I kind of am, but I'll never forget this. It's the end of the high school days, and we kind of went out with a small group of friends, and it was the first time to go out praying with people and, and sharing the gospel. And it was just, honestly, it was a very unfruitful day. I had a lot of dead-end conversations, wasn't getting very far, and I remember coming back at the end of the day pretty dejected, kind of going, like, what was the point of that? 
Like, I got nowhere with that. I didn't feel like we had one divine encounter or anything like that. A little bit later on that week, I'm with my cousin Kimberly, who's handicapped in a wheelchair, uh, not able to walk or control her body very well, not able to talk with any clarity. And I'm, in, I'm with her at the grocery store. And uh, like I've told you many times, she likes to blurt things out quite a bit. But we get to the cashier, and I'm wheeling her in her, in her wheelchair. And she pulls up to the, we pull up to the cashier, and she just looks at the, at the cashier, and she just blurts out, Jesus loves you. And she, like, screams it at the top of her lungs. And so for a high school student, like, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, okay, this is really embarrassing. And this is a really awkward situation, right? And I immediately, I'm like, oh, gosh, Kimberly, cal- calm down a little bit. And I'll never forget, that cashier just looks at her, and she kind of starts laughing a little bit. And she's like, that is so sweet. She goes, you know what? That's exactly what I needed to hear today. And my cousin, Kimberly, just looks at her, and she just stares at her for a little while. And then she just turns at me, and she goes, Aaron, you need to pray for her right now. And again, like out loud in front of her, I'm going, oh my gosh, this is so awkward and this is so embarrassing and stuff like that. And she, and the cashier just looks back and she's kind of laughing. I'm like, ma'am, I'm so sorry right now. And she goes, no, no, no. She's like, actually, um, I would love a little bit of prayer right now. And I was like, really, what's going on? And I'm looking around and there's no one else in line. There's no one else in any of the cash registers. There's like, there's not anybody else really around in the store at that time. And she tells me a little bit, and I'm not kidding you, we have an opportunity uh, to listen a little bit to her story. I pray with her right there. I have an opportunity to share a little bit of the gospel with her. She says she's already a believer. But church, point of the matter is we have this beautiful divine encounter there in the middle of the store, and it all begins with a cousin who's not able to walk and can barely talk. And in the middle of this place, like God brings about this incredibly beautiful divine encounter. Point of the matter is, church, he just doesn't need you. He just doesn't need us. He doesn't need your perfection. And the reality, church, is like some of us need to hear that today, that that he wants you and he's called you to be a part of his purposes, but he's the one who makes things grow. And some of us need to hear that, that he doesn't need you to be perfect today. He doesn't need you to be perfect in the middle of this pandemic. He doesn't need the perfect mom. He doesn't need the mom that's going to match up with everything that you see on Instagram. He doesn't need the perfect provider who, who, who always has the same income level or still has a job. He doesn't need you to be the perfect person. He doesn't need the fancy title or the position of power. He doesn't need you to have infinite wisdom or infinite knowledge about everything that's gonna take place in the future. He doesn't need you to have everything figured out and have all the plans and have all the answers because he's the one who makes it all grow. And the reality, church, is like when we understand these, rea- these things, that, that he's the one who controls it all. He's the one who makes it all grow. I'm telling you, church, like there's rest to be found in him. It, it's why he's the better rest. You can come to him resting with nothing in your hands but faith, knowing that he's going to provide the rest. And so the author of Hebrews, he really only has one major plea in this chapter. And it's found in verse 7 where he simply wraps it all up and he says, Today, church, if you hear his voice... Don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. And quite honestly, church, like, that's my prayer for us today, that if you hear his voice today and he's speaking to you, if you hear his voice today and you're laying at night in your bedroom and you're not able to sleep and you hear him speaking, you don't harden your heart to him. If that voice that you're hearing is guilt and shame and that's the thing that's keeping you up, like that you come to him and that you would rest knowing that he's already made you clean. And if the, 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 the thing that's keeping you up is identity and this performance matters and you're saying, hey, there's a whole lot of failure in my life that you're going to name that thing and that you're going to bring it to the feet of Jesus Christ and you're going to come to him and you're going to rest knowing that you're already enough and that he's, that he's the one who makes things grow in your life. 
And if it's a matter of the future, things like, okay, I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I don't know what the next month is gonna look like. I don't know about school in the fall and how the whole thing is gonna work out. That you're gonna come to the good and loving Heavenly Father and you're gonna come to him and rest knowing that he's the one who loves to give good gifts to the children that he loves. Church, I'm telling you, like, there's rest to be found today. And I know that it's hard for many of us to grab hold of it today because there's so many circumstances around us that are clouding that vision. But I promise you, there's rest to be found today. And so if you hear his voice and he is calling to you, and you hear his voice and he is speaking to you truth and reminding you all of these things which he's already done, church, don't harden your heart to him today. Would you come to him? Would you take him at his word? And would you experience and enter into his rest today? So, Heavenly Father, we just want to tell you that we love you, God, and we praise you and thank you that you have accomplished everything on our behalf. Father, right now, I just want to pray for the person that's struggling to find that rest that they so desperately need. God, would you come? Would you make yourself known to them? Father, I pray that today they'd be able to walk by faith and find that rest in you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for that person that is struggling with this need to be perfect, need to have it all together. Maybe it's a performance anxiety, and maybe it's just the crushing weight of, hey, I'm not performing in the same way that I always have in the past. Father, I pray that the blood of Jesus Christ would cover them, God, that they would experience your rest today, and that you would bring them relief. Father, for the person that's laying awake at night under the crushing weight of guilt and shame, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and remind them that they have already been washed clean. They've already been justified and declared righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, would they come to you walk by faith, rest in faith, and receive from you today. Father, our confession is that you've taken care of everything, and Lord, for that, we praise you, and we thank you this day. And so, God, would you come and let us experience your rest and enter it right now. In Jesus' mighty and holy name that we pray, amen and amen.